Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today, Tim. Thanks for asking. I hope all the listeners are doing great. Uh, this episode that's coming up does not feature me because I had a prior engagement, but it was an opportunity that you and Jennifer Amell just could not say no to. So it was a nighttime interview, really important cases, cases, multiple cases yeah. here that we've been covering. Uh, so I cannot wait for the listeners to get more information on this. I agree. And they are cases that we've covered previously. In fact, just like a month or so ago, we did an episode with these two folks. That's Katrina, who is Kaya Taylor's sister. And that's Brian, who is Calvin Johnny Hunt's brother. And they are half siblings. So we talk about those two cases, but we also talk about Katrina's cousin, Tania Leonard, who was an infant when she went missing. So three cases here in this one episode, and I want to invite you to check out the previous iteration of this conversation with Katrina and Brian, and we also did single episodes of each case, of each of their siblings' cases, Kaya Taylor and Calvin Johnny Hunt. You have to scroll back to January of 2023 and I think maybe December of 2022, and so you may want to listen to those because there's more surface-level information in those episodes and this one we go deeper i have to hand it to you for that incredibly clear description of why and what we're covering and especially now we can move into the why a little bit more this is a family that's been touched by so much tragedy starting with 11 month old tania leonard i mean and then to have two of our missing person cases that we've covered come together in sort of a random way it did get a little confusing and the reason why we are doing this again is because you need to touch on this tragedy all these tragedies and you need to be clear about what happened to who yeah and and there was a little bit deeper to go i think you know and i'm sure if we kept these conversations going we'd hear more but there mm -hmm. were some bombshells in this in these conversations so i hope it's at least useful for the siblings of these missing people to get this information out there if you want an ad-free version of Missing, you can now get Missing Premium on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not an Apple user, you can get it on Supporting Cast by going to missing.supportingcast.fm. It's $4.99 a month. You get all episodes of Missing ad-free, some early releases, and you get our bonus show, which is weekly and a place where we share our opinions on some of these cases that we cover. Okay, thanks a lot for listening. Please follow us on social media at MissingCSM. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll We'll be right back with Katrina and Brian speaking about their siblings' disappearances and about Katrina's cousin, Tania Leonard. Okay, first up, we are going to talk about Kaya Taylor's disappearance, and we'll speak with Katrina, her sister. Kaya was 28 years old when she went missing from Plant City, Florida. 5'6", 170 pounds, reddish-brown hair, and brown eyes. She has an infinity sign tattoo on her upper chest, a sun tattoo on her upper thigh, two X's on her upper shoulder, a ladybug tattoo on her lower leg, and a rose tattoo on her left forearm. Kaya Taylor went missing on February 6th of 2020 where her car was found running and abandoned on a railroad track. Do you know how long it was running for? Actually, no, because Hillsborough County Sheriff 
will not give us the person that actually called the police about her car running. They won't give us even the police officers that actually went to her car that was abandoned on the railroad tracks. So we have no idea. Okay, and then we get right into the mystery with Katrina, and we ask her who the last person to see Kaya was. And you can tell right away that this is a confusing timeline. Our family uh, saw her on February 3rd. She went to her mom's house with her mom and her brother because it was his birthday. Our sister that we share collectively she actually spent the weekend with her. There can be three parts to this story. Was seen by her mom, February 4th, and Kaya was seen by her boyfriend, February 6th, and her, you know, it's all up in the air. I'm just going to be honest. That's kind of how it goes. And now we ask, Katrina about Kaya's boyfriend Jason and I gotta tell you there are some incredibly startling revelations here about their relationship Kaya and Jason's relationship that we need to mention and we need to say that they're alleged at this point in time. What is the story with with her boyfriend at the time? Jason D. Roberts. Jason Dwayne Roberts. Actually Jason told the police that Kaya dropped him off at his best friend Kevin Ring's house on Cowart Road at approximately 4 to 4.30. And the passerby that saw her car on the railroad tracks on Cowart Road, they called and it was about 7 to 7.15. So her car was found running and abandoned on the railroad tracks with her driver's side door open and her cell phone on the ground. Now, Kai is 28 years old, no kids, and her car, I mean, her cell phone, again, on the ground. So what does it tell you? Kai didn't have her phone. That's a problem. That's a big problem. Jason has cooperated with police. He's spoken with them. No? Jason has been questioned twice. They did not give him a lie detector test. And the house that they said Kaya dropped him off at has been looked into. In what way has it been looked into? Uh, in the disappearance or for other uh, things or both? Both. Do we know if Jason's family or himself were like into drugs or illegal substances? Because I read that somewhere. So that everyone knows Kaya was actually into drugs. She had been into meth. There was an instance where Kaya had actually overdosed with Jason and Jason pushed her out of the car into her mom's yard, but somehow she survived. It wasn't her time. The car was running when she was pushed out of the car? Yes. And he drove by uh, like on the sidewalk or or just... Yep, and just pushed her out and kept going. Opened the passenger door while he was driving and pushed her out. Absolutely. And how long before Kaya's disappearance was that? I would say at least a year or two. And how did you hear about that? Kaya had an old phone 
we found that old phone and we looked through her text messages. And I will say that Jason was actually trafficking Kaya. And that's from the old phone. So the phone that was found on the ground by her car in, in 2020, that wasn't the phone that we were looking at to find extra information. This phone was an old phone. It was her previous phone. Um, do you know how long or when the last time she had used it in regular uh, rotation was? I'd say about a year, maybe a, a year and a couple months. Yeah, there were some very nasty text messages and words from Jason that he sent to her. Katrina, if it's not too much to ask, um, what do you mean by trafficking? In what sense? He wanted her to have sex for products. And when I say products, specifically electronics and money. And that's what was found in the old phone. And this was on text message? Yes. And this was pretty easy uh, for you to read uh, just in conversation. It wasn't like partially had been discussed in person. This was just direct text messages. Absolutely. And again, this is her old phone, not the one that she currently had at the time that she went missing. Right. So this may have been something that happened in the past, but was not carrying forward. Mm, I doubt that. I think that once you say things that he said in those text messages, that's not something you just stop. Kaya is half black, half white. I mean, he would call her the N-word. He would say that she was nothing, say that she wasn't worth anything because she was black. But, you know, the hard thing about it is Kaya still loved him. No matter what he called her, she just wanted to be loved. I'll be honest, I actually talked to Jason about the responses that I read in Kaya's old phone, and all he could say was, I loved Kaya in past tense. It hurts me, but I can't. I just have to go for it with what comes across and what I find. Did you ask him about Kaya's white supremacist text? Does he have friends like that, that are white supremacists and dangerous like that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I didn't ask him because I didn't know it at that time. But um, after that, in watching his social media, on his Instagram post, more than on his Facebook post, it shows a lot of white supremacist ideology. Does it show him ever uh, posting about Kaya or ever uh, did no. he ever search for her or anything like that? Never did any interviews or anything? No, never any interviews, but um, the very first time that we had a search for her, he showed up, um, him and his friend Kevin, and obviously was not welcome. Okay, wow. So there is a lot in that clip there and some really good sleuthing from Katrina to find Kaya's old phone and go through it. Just some wild information there. And now we go on to ask Katrina about the location of where Kaya's car was found. Do you find that the location of where Kaya's car is significant in her disappearance case? 
Absolutely. For two reasons. First and foremost, it was less than a mile and a half away from where she supposedly dropped her boyfriend off at. Secondly, because it was six miles away from where Veronica Reyes Diaz came up missing from. If I'm a missing person and I'm running away from somebody, I'll steal a car. I will bust out windows. The place where her car was found was on a railroad track that led right back to Jason's best friend's house where she supposedly dropped Jason off at. And then secondly, if I was Veronica, I would steal any car. I would bust any tires. I would run down any railroad track. It is very prominent of where her car was found. I I think that's very important. Very important. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Okay, and now we're going to get into Tania Leonard's case. She is an infant who is Katrina's cousin. She was 11 months old when she went missing from Bartow, Florida on October 19th, 2002. Can't stand these types of disappearances. I don't think anyone really can. She's classified as endangered missing female, 11 months old, like you said, 2 foot 6 inches, 20 to 30 pounds, African-American female, black hair, brown eyes. She has pierced ears and a light-colored birthmark on her right leg. She'd be 21 years old now, and there really is just not too much on this case, but we'll play our section with Katrina about tonight's disappearance now, and if you have any information, please call the Bartow Police Department at 863-534-5034. The first person that went missing in my family was Tanaya. Her mom took Tanaya to her boyfriend's house so he could watch the baby while she went out. And then when she went back to get, to get Tanaya, uh, Tanaya was nowhere to be found. She was an infant when when she was um, she was taken. Was, was she kidnapped? Is that um, is that how you describe uh, her case? Uh, we can't, uh, say that because we honestly don't know. Her mom actually went out and Tanaya was with her dad. When her, her mom went back to get her, she was gone. So we can't say if she was kidnapped. We, we honestly don't know. Were the mom and dad together at the time? Not at that time. W- was there a strain in the relationship? Yes. Um, and actually, I can tell you that our family was cleared in any part of her disappearance. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I know there are a lot of comments that uh, come up online in uh, babies, very young kids' uh, disappearances all the time. And yes. oftentimes they uh, point at the family um, mm-hmm. for for either the disappearance or just not being there. And, uh, and either really isn't fair in a lot of cases. Which is understandable. I mean, it, it's a child that's missing. Totally understand that. I know her mom, her grandma, our grandmother that actually passed. Yeah, it totally understandable. Totally understandable. A lot of people have a lot of things to say about it, but we just have to keep moving. 
and try and find Tanaya. Yeah, how are you um, trying to find Tanaya? Because this is, is such a unique challenge. Absolutely. Um, when Tanaya actually first went missing, we went all over Bartow. We put up flyers. We went to Gainesville, where her dad was from. We put up flyers there. We went door to door. We did a lot of stuff to try to find Tanaya. What did the father say about that time he was with her? That's the thing. He doesn't say much of anything. At that time, he would not give us information. He wouldn't give the Bartow Police Department any information. He wouldn't give the Polk County Sheriff's Office any information. So we just had to go on what we knew where her dad was from, Mike Leonard, again, in Gainesville, where we went looking door to door. In in Bartow, we went to the government subsidized housing we went looking for him there for her there um there's actually been a house in Bartow where they actually like dug up part of the house because it was said that tonight was buried under one of the houses i mean man this situation is like it's so crazy because it's, it, it's like nonstop. There's never been a time that we have not had to stop looking for Tanaya. And Tanaya would be uh, 20 years old today? 21, I believe. And uh, Tanaya's mother still believes that her, her daughter's alive and out there, right? Yes. And I'll tell you why I believe she feels that way. So once Tanaya went missing... Of course, Miranda had other kids with Mike and was put up for adoption. And Mike and Miranda's kids actually have found Mike and Miranda. They have both been reunited with their mom and dad. So, of course, that gives hope to them as to Tanaya as well. So I I get it. I get it. And at what age were those children? You said they were given up for adoption? Yeah. Um, Miranda has, I believe, 10 kids. Um, Miranda now has custody of all of her kids, including the second child that Mike and Miranda had. Um, She's 18 now, but she's in both of their lives. And she stands strong on trying to find Tanaya as well. You know, no matter what I ask of her, she's right there. And she shares Tanaya's pictures. The only thing that I would love her to do is just be more vocal about finding Tanaya because she may be able to touch um, Mike's heart because she's a child of Mike and Miranda to find Tanaya. Uh, And I'm sure she's done that. But, oh, that's a fight. (laughs) That's a fight. I see. So Miranda thinks because she's given other children up for adoption that Tanaya may have been given up for adoption, but it wouldn't have been in a very legal way with a one parent. I won't say that Miranda put her kids up for adoption. She was forced to give her kids up. 
I see. Um, I see. Okay. Yeah, she she didn't do it willingly. She was forced. And that's definitely not the case with Tanaya. No. Tanaya is missing. Tanaya is missing. And then Mike, her father, could not have just given the baby up for adoption because he needed both parents' consent, right? Exactly. We need to find Tanaya. We need to find all of our missing Tanaya, Kaya, and Johnny. They deserve to be found. Come hell or high water, I will go to my grave looking for all of my missing family members, no matter what. We're here and we will not stop. And we will find you by any means necessary. Okay, now we're going to get into Johnny Hunt's disappearance, and we're going to play clips from his brother, Brian. Now, some of this information might be a little repetitive with our previous episodes on Calvin Johnny Hunt's disappearance, but this one goes a bit deeper. What seems to be emerging here is a clearer picture of Johnny's disappearance, and after the following conversation with Johnny's brother, Brian, we're now a little hesitant to report that he ever left on that drive to Brian's place. So let's get into this. Calvin Johnny Hunt has been missing since May 29th, 2018 from 10 Mile, Tennessee. He was 38 years old at the time of his disappearance. And Calvin, who goes by Johnny, and that's who how he'll be referred to in this conversation, he's about six foot, six one, two hundred pounds, and he is a white man. And some distinguishing characteristics here. He's got brown hair, green eyes. He's balding and typically shaves off his hair. He often wears hats or bandanas. He wore a goatee at the time of his disappearance, and he uses eyeglasses for reading. His left ear is pierced, and both arms have sleeve tattoos. One forearm includes the anarchy symbol of an A inside of a circle, while the other includes a pentagram. And he has bones tattooed on the back of his hands and fingers. And anyone with information is instructed to contact the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at 931-526-5041. Okay, so now we're just going to give you some information about Johnny's disappearance, and then we'll play clips from his brother Brian as we go. So Johnny grew up in Lakeland, Florida with his mother Shirley and brother Brian, who was older by eight years. And Johnny was married to a woman named Monica, with whom he has two sons. And when the marriage ended, Johnny found himself living with friends in Lake City, Florida. By this time, older brother Brian was living in Georgia. And Johnny told his brother that he was unhappy with his current living situation. So Brian drove to Florida to pick him up and to bring him back to Georgia. And Brian takes us through this time and describes a conversation he had with Johnny's girlfriend, Shannon. I actually moved uh, Johnny up here with me from uh, Florida. End of 2017. And uh, I guess it was a volatile relationship again with another woman. Ever since his divorce from his uh, wife and uh, the, the mother of his children, he never, he wasn't the same. He messed the relationship up, but he never forgave himself. Woman to woman to woman, you know. He was up here a couple months, you know. I went down and got him, packed him up, said, all right, we need to get away from there. Brought him up here, you know. And I started a business. But then he, you know, he helped me out. I went working, you know, come to find out. He said, hey, I'm having a girl. There's a girl coming from Tennessee. We've been talking. About three weeks later, he said he was moving to Tennessee. I'm like, man, are you sure about this? You know, I said, you know, that's awful quick. But Johnny had to have his own space. That's the way it was. He ended up moving there about three weeks after he met her. 
And uh, her name is Shannon. I mean, she came over here a couple of times. But about the third time, and I told Johnny this, you know, we were on the couch and her were talking. I think Johnny was talking to my wife. She made the comment she just wasn't going to deal with cheating. She said she'd, if it comes down like that, she'd take care of it. And I told Johnny that. Do you know what she meant by that? No, I didn't. I mean, I figured, you know, hey, she wouldn't put up with it. Basically, well, I was getting that. You know, she, you know, she wasn't going to be the one that go, hey, uh, you know, oh yeah, you actually love you. So, so you know, what I mean, I took it like that. She would deal with that, and that that, that was pretty much the end of the conversation when she was up sitting on my couch. You know, she wasn't going. She wasn't going to tolerate it. I mean, I knew she had guns in the house. Everybody in Tennessee got freaking guns. Uh, the detective, when Johnny went missing, you know. Told me, you know, because I was like, I'm door to door search, search, you know. He said, I wouldn't advise that. He goes, in Tennessee, you know, don't, you know, they can shoot you, period. You know, you don't go walking up on people's property in Tennessee. I, I, I said, something ain't right. You know, and, and I told him, you know, and I tried the day he was leaving to uh, talk him out of it, you know. I mean, I hugged him and I told him, I said, yeah, this one here might be the end of you. I mean, he met his match. Okay, so this story is now familiar where Johnny's new girlfriend, Shannon, whom he recently moved in with, told Brian that if she caught Johnny cheating, she'd, quote, take care of it, unquote. And Brian said this was during a long chat with her on his couch about the third time they visited uh, his apartment together. And every time we talk with Brian, he mentions that Shannon has guns. And I don't think that she mentioned it then during that conversation, but that was his takeaway. So that's the information he passed along to us. And, and that's what he told Johnny. Brian actually warned Johnny of what Shannon said. So Johnny was well aware of that as well. So Johnny and Shannon were together for about six months. They were living at her place in 10 Mile, Tennessee, in what's been described as a tumultuous relationship. And if you remember in our previous episode with Brian and Katrina, Katrina dropped a bombshell about that relationship. There was some, I'd say, domestic violence there that he did share with me. She hit him numerous times and that he didn't do anything. He, you know, walked away from her. He wouldn't talk to her. At the same time, he always went back to her. I'm sure that went both ways. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. So that brings us to the night before Johnny disappeared, and there was apparently a small party at Shannon's place, and it seems like Johnny must have been getting flirty with a woman named Erica, because the next morning, Shannon checks her surveillance video of the night before, and she sees Johnny and Erica chatting, and then goes through his phone and finds an incriminating text message exchange between Johnny and Erica. And she confirmed to me that she did send Johnny a message the night before, because supposedly... This Erica girl was over at Johnny's and Shannon's house the night before. This is where it kind of went wrong. They got security cameras. I guess Shannon woke up that morning and was going through the video and seen my brother on the back porch chatting with the girl. Well, then she found the text. If you don't mind me asking, what was the text? What was so incriminating? I guess that evening, I guess where they, they were looking at, you know, looking at it, it said something about, I saw the way you were looking at me, you know, like you wanted to throw me on the bed. Okay, so at this point, we know that Johnny and Shannon's relationship can be abusive. We know that Shannon told Brian that she will not tolerate cheating, and we know that Shannon found evidence of at least heavy flirting on Johnny's part that occurred that night before he went missing. 
Now, in trying to get a clear timeline of the day of Johnny's disappearance, it appears that several people were over at Shannon's place, and Brian actually spoke with a few of them who confirmed these details. So Johnny, a different Brian, and a guy named Travis were working on fixing a motorcycle the day that Johnny went missing, and they apparently finished in the afternoon, right around the time Erica, her mom, and her mom's boyfriend were all leaving Shannon's place from the party the night before. And about at this point in the day, Johnny and Shannon should be getting into the car to drive to Johnny's brother Brian's place. But that's when Brian gets an ominous text message from his brother. He was supposed to be here about 7, 7.30. And I sent him a text. I said, hey, where you at? And he said, I'm sitting in the truck debating whether to run. And I sent him back. I said, debating whether to run. I said, where at are you sitting in the truck? On my way to you. He was coming to the sea to visit us. And uh, he said he was in the truck on his way, which is from their house. You know, it takes about three hours. I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, if you're going to run, you need to run now. I said, because your brother has a bad feeling. And that was the last contact I had with him. So that was the last text message that you believe he sent, or that at least it was clear to you that he himself wrote. Is that accurate? Yeah. When they were in the truck and he sent you that text message about wanting to run, why did he suggest that? What what was it? Did he give you any hint to what what urgency was there on his behalf? There was never a text message you know, to me from that phone again. Hmm. I just told him, you know, I responded that, you know, hey, look, if you're going to run, I responded, you need to do it now because your brother has a bad feeling. I mean, that was, that was the last words I have. I think that, yeah, I don't, I'm don't, i not for sure he saw him. I don't know. And at that point in time, when he said he was sitting in the truck debating whether or not to run, I feel it was him at that time. Uh, now, if it was a setup to start this whole process of, which is a possibility, you know, that he supposedly got in another vehicle at the house. And I mean, because I got told multiple stories from Shannon and I got them all printed while he was gone, you know. And he was in the motel room taking a break. This now, I mean, guy picked him up, you know, he got in the, truck with a guy and uh you know he said he's back sunday i mean all kinds of stories but i think you if it was the case it was debating whether to run he was actually still sitting in his house at the driveway when he texted me that i mean if i could put you know two and two together and in that clip brian mentioned that shannon told several different stories about what happened to johnny and where he went and brian shared his opinion that he believes his brother johnny sent him that text while sitting in the car in the driveway and not on the road like shannon stated And Brian has some good things to say about Detective Wattenberger of the Cleveland, Tennessee Police Department, but expresses frustration with communication now that the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation has taken over the case. Is there any evidence that they ever left the place at all, I guess? Well, I talked to a lot of people out there. It took me a lot of time to track everybody over there. I have not found anybody that actually seen them. They seen them leaving the house or driving, coming coming toward here. Detective Wattenberger in Cleveland. He was the first gentleman uh, when I filed the report, and I went up there, you know, to file a missing persons. He told me he don't believe that he ever left ten miles Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, which is where they lived. I'll give Detective Wattenberger and the Cleveland Police Department good guy. Uh, I stand up. Hey, asked, oh, did my brother have owned a boat or knew somebody that owned a boat? I said I don't know. I said I'll ask. And uh, about a month later, you know. Before TBI, or a couple of weeks before TBI really took over the whole investigation, he did. He slipped me. He said, you need to search. Uh, but he mentioned an area up there in the water, a little, a little uh, 
cove that they call a, I think it's called a pig trail or something like that. Look, you know, I would, you know, he hinted basically that place to look somewhere uh, in Cleveland or on the way to Cleveland in that area. He said, you know, a hint. After that, I got no more hints. You know, he, he he had his theories, you know, and I was able to get some information, you know, before TBI shut him up. And now following the detective's thought that maybe Johnny never left 10 Mile, we asked Johnny some questions about what could have happened to Johnny if he never left for Brian's place. Last time we spoke, you you mentioned he's, he's a big boy. She would have had to shoot him. She would have had to have shot him. She'd have to, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Johnny's not going to lay down. I have to interject, Brian, like, he was a beast. I know our dad could not overpower him. She, he, whoever had to do something to incapacitate Johnny. You could not overtake Johnny. I should have a couple more questions about Shannon's property. What Can you describe that to me? What What is the surrounding area like? Is there woods in around there? It's, uh, it's actually Watts County Nuclear Area. I guess there's a nuclear station up there. I mean, right across the street, it starts lake, rivers. I mean, there's a yeah, there's high fishing there. Okay, so that is a look at Calvin Johnny Hunt's disappearance. If you have any information, please call the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at 931-526-5041. Okay, we're going to leave you with some final words from Katrina. She describes what it's like to live with ambiguous losses of her family members. Can you imagine your mom or dad dying and not knowing what happened to their child people don't get it it's a, it's it's a struggle and 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 it's put on our shoulders to get some type of closure for us and for our parents and it's really hard to verbalize the pain the not knowing the knowing that your parent one of your parents have passed and they don't know where their children are. Do you know how hard that is? We will do whatever we have to do to get closure for us and for our parents, period, period.